America is no fragile thing, but the gains of our long journey to freedom are not assured. In his own farewell address, George Washington wrote that self-government is the underpinning of our safety, prosperity, and liberty. But from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken to weaken in your minds the conviction of this truth. And so we have to preserve this truth with jealous anxiety that we should reject the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest or to enfeeble the sacred ties that make us one. Welcome to yet another episode of Social Justice Warriors Sandwich, the first new episode of the new year. My name is Peter. I am a cisgendered straight white man, and I am your host. With me today to speak to me is Zara Fazal. Say hi. Hello. <laughs> hi, everybody. You are an actress and also a singer-songwriter, correct? That is correct, indeed. All right. Fantastic. Now, you are also... Oh my God, everybody, wait for this. She is a Muslim American. <gasps> oh no! I am the terror that flaps in the night. Wait, that's Darkwing Duck. Yeah. Oh, I love that show. So here's the thing. I created this podcast in response to uh, the election. Um, a lot of people aren't happy about it. And we have one rule here on Social Justice Warrior Sandwich. You know that guy who got the most electoral votes? On this show, I don't call him by his name. Or, I love it. Uh, yeah, or by his title. I call him Drumpf, or I call him Biff Tannen, or I call him Lex Luthor. Um, and if you can comply with that too, that would be awesome. But if you slip Lovely. up, if you slip up, don't worry about it. I just bleep his name out like it's a curse word later on. I love it. That That is fantastic. You know, I actually, in the days leading up to the election, I purposely would not say the name on social media. Right. Because I just couldn't bring myself to. No. He held a press conference today, and I tried to listen to Ugh. it. And after about 30 seconds, I was like, I can't listen to this guy talk. Anyway. The reason I have you on, first of all, because you are a fantastic performer, and we'll get to that later on about your, um, is it your signature piece of work, I guess? Well, it was it signature for that time. For that it's time, about, okay. I, you know, it's about seven years ago I did it now, so I like to think I've done other cool things since then, but it definitely was um, a signature. And we're talking about me. a musical one-woman show that you put on in the Toronto Fringe, and the title of it is Headscarf and the Angry Bitch. That's right. <laughs> Which is hilarious, and for those of you that don't know, that's a play on the uh, musical Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So that's fantastic. So, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But, okay, you are a Muslim American. Correct. However, I don't really like the term Muslim American. No, you don't. Like the, okay. The hyphen. Um, I prefer the term an American Muslim. Because, oh, all right. Fantastic. Yeah, just because, and I don't mind if people use the terms interchangeably, but the reason why I don't call myself a Muslim American, I prefer the term American Muslim, is because American is describing my uh, citizenship and right. Muslim is describing my religious faith. There's no really ethnic group of Muslims. Like that doesn't right. really exist. Right. There's, Muslim encompasses a bunch of different ethnicities right. and cultures. 
so to hyphenate it makes you sound like you're from the place of Muslim when that's not really right, right, right. Which there isn't really a place. Yeah. So I know, like, I, that's you know, our president, our president for a blessed week and change, oh, yes. uh, in his farewell address last night, used the word um, American Muslim, and I was like, okay. He said it in that order, or he said Muslim Americans. Oh, I'm sorry. He said Muslim Americans. Right, right, Muslim right. Americans. And so I was like, you know, okay, that's that's fine. I mean, we're okay. talking about it. But here's here's the thing for me. I feel like there mm. there may just be way too many Americans that don't understand that people like you exist. Americans that also happen to be Muslim, right? Tell us, tell right. tell tell me where you're you're from. Oh my gosh. So I'm from Indiana, West Lafayette, Indiana, the you, most you, American place you could get. <laughs> can't get much more in, uh, American than Indiana, you know? I and was that's born, where you were born in Libertyville, Illinois. Well, I was born in Illinois in a town called Libertyville. How do you like that? Born in Libertyville, <laughs> Illinois. Libertyville. Libertyville, Illinois. Land of Lincoln. Growing up in Indiana, the land of the Hoosiers. And yet you're a Muslim. <laughs> Mind blown, America. <laughs> Which is to me, this is just so normal and pedestrian. Right. Like, of course I'm from Indiana. Right. Of course I, you know, say pop instead of soda. Like, <laughs> that's pretty par for the course. And for the most part, most people that I've met in larger towns and cities on the coasts and, you know, in populated areas where there's a lot of diversity, they're like, cool. Right. And it is not a thing. Right. But occasionally, especially in, in, I've gone back to Indiana. Um, I actually did my show there uh, five years ago, and I did get a few comments like, wow, you're a Muslim from Indiana? How did that happen? (laughs) So, like, actually, my parents um, were immigrants from Pakistan, Mm -hmm. came over in the 70s when America was getting in a lot of um, foreign talent. They were doctors. Mm, And so America had the need for, whoa, I think there's a poltergeist in my apartment. Poltergeist or cat? Probably that. Oh, my cat's name Poltergeist. That's why. (laughs) Wait, really? Um, Is she? No, no. Her name, uh, his name. Oh, my gosh. His name's Mouse. (laughs) Okay. A cat named Mouse. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. A cat named Mouse? A Muslim from Illinois? What's going on? The world doesn't make sense anymore. No. Um, But um, do you agree with me that maybe there aren't enough Americans that understand that, that normal people like you exist from Illinois? Uh, grew up in Indiana, etc. It's but mind- happened to be Muslim. Yeah, it's mind-boggling to mm. me that people don't know that. I would assume that just com- basic common sense, like any kind of religion, can be found in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, I think there's this mis, there's a there's a perception of what is a Muslim and what is Islam that is not. Sorry, hold on. Cat trouble again. Let's take a look at the cat. No way. Oh. Say hi. Oh. Folks at home, I wish you could see this pretty kitty. (laughs) (laughs) His name is Mouse Hamid. Oh. (laughs) Mouse is short for Mouse Hamid. (laughs) That's Um, funny. That's funny. No, I just think there's this perception of what, for a lot of America, sadly, there's this perception of what Islam is that's, Mm -hmm. you know, terrorism, violence, Mm. oppressive to women, uh, Middle Eastern, like all these things are lumped onto it. And there's not a real understanding, even though it's taught in most schools, like some about the major religions. I remember learning about Islam in sixth grade Mm. in school. And there's just this image of Muslims and Islam that is 
There's a lot of uh, terrible media about what being a Muslim mm. is. And so I think that people can't reconcile that something so awful and vile would also be American when they don't recognize that that awful, vile thing is such a small percentage right. of people. I think, and that's possibly because of all the media attention it gets, A and B, uh, because of how violent it is and just how horrible some of these acts are, I think people have a hard right. time really considering the fact that, you know, a majority of the people that, uh, you know, practice this religion are not like that at all. Absolutely. I mean, and it's the same sort of thing as conflating what the KKK does with all of Christianity. Right. They claim to be a Christian group. Right. But people don't say all Christians are terrorists. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, hey, I hate ISIS as much as everybody else does. I'm I think sure it's disgusting. Right. And it hurts even more because they've taken this thing, this faith that at its very base is about peace mm-hmm. and getting along with each other and mutated it into this awful smeared its name. So it, it you know, I think Americans should realize that most Muslims in America are so angry about ISIS too. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. Hello, America. My name is Travis, and I am not an actor. If you're still convinced that Barack Hussein Obama is a foreign-born Muslim, I was once like you. I knew in my heart that Obama was an evil jihadist. I used to lie awake at night in fear that he would invade my home in a suicide bomb vest and take my guns away in the name of Allah. But I don't have to worry about that anymore. Not since I discovered facts. My life changed the day I began a daily regimen of facts. Facts helped me understand that my fears were nothing but bullshit. And facts helped me extract the truth about our first black president. That his decades of outwardly practicing Christianity wasn't just smoke and mirrors in a deeper plot to hold America hostage under Sharia law. How did I find this out? With facts. Facts help me, and they can help you too. Facts have been known to combat ignorance and reduce the risk of making stupid-ass assumptions. Try facts today. Facts are available at most non-Facebook news sources. Facts can cause serious transformation in worldviews. Use as directed. An offshoot question for that, though, is do you think do you think there are enough uh, Muslim American... Wait, which term should I use? American Muslims. Do you think there are enough American Muslims voicing uh, that opinion and out there um, speaking out against ISIS? I do. I do think there are. However, I personally, and I know a lot of um, Muslims who feel like every time something terrible happens and it's reported, Mm. we feel like we have to explain it, which is a really strange position to be in because somebody commits an act of violence. Why all of a sudden is it on me who's been sipping my tea to explain it or apologize for it in some way? I have nothing to do with that. So it's this, it's this, you know, it's this two-sided thing of, of course we condemn it, but gosh, do we have to say we condemn it every time it happens? Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But that being said, there are voices that are out there speaking out against this Mm -hmm. stuff for sure. But the other thing is, it's not really so much a Muslim thing, like band-aid it with the Muslim, like, oh, Muslims should do this work. It's a cultural thing. It's an issue about certain countries and certain offshoots forming in these countries. And so like as a Muslim, as, as as the child of Pakistani American immigrants, it's really difficult for me to talk about what's going on in 
Afghanistan. Right. Like, culturally, those are worlds apart. I, I And again, that's something that I think a lot of Americans don't understand, which doesn't make sense to me because obviously we have extreme cultural differences between, say, New York and Indiana, even Indiana and Illinois, things like that. There's completely different cultures in different parts of the country. And I think a sure. lot of Americans just sort of make it a black and white issue with no gray areas. And uh, I feel like the... <clears throat> President-elect, God, I hate saying that, um, sort of played into that um, that mindset during the campaign. So can mm-hmm. I just ask you straight out, when he was saying all these things about like a registry and stuff like that, like what was going through your mind? Oh, I tried to block it out. Right. A lot of, because I, I found myself... Uh, being a bit of a news junkie all through like probably July onward from the conventions onward. Like right. I had CNN on all the time and I, I think it did a little bit of a number on my mental health. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure it did. Um, every time I would hear outlandish <clears throat> claims and by the way, the stuff like Muslim registry is just one of many outlandish claims that guy made. So every time right. I kind of, had to laugh about it because if I didn't laugh about it, I would just cry about it. So I didn't believe that anything he said would actually happen. I just believe that he was, like you said, using, um, you know, the fear that's present in a lot of Americans and the misunderstanding about, you know, Muslims in Islam. I think he was preying on that and using that for his gain. But on the other hand, like as much as I tried to block it out and dismiss it, it also makes me really scared. Like I'm kind of fortunate in the sense that I can kind of pass as not necessarily Muslim. I can, you know, you would look at me and you wouldn't necessarily know where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, but for friends and family who are less passable as other things, who are more visually identifiable as Muslim or potentially Muslim, I worry about them. Right. And um, and I was worried too about, you know, anytime America has kind of um, put forward a policy against immigration we've suffered like it's immigrants is what makes immigration is what makes america great that's all it is to it absolutely and um while we're on that did you see the president's speech last night i did wasn't it wonderful? I cried. <laughs> I, was, I was so proud. I was like, so we was have I. lived in such an amazing time. Aren't we lucky for having them? Exactly. And um, I felt like a lot of what he said sort of echoed uh, my sentiments and what I'm trying to do with this podcast. And that is, you know, mm. to say that I, I, I think I mentioned it in a, in a previous episode, that stupid slogan, make America great again. And you have to ask yourself, what is it that makes America great? And the answer is... Because we're so we're a diverse nation of all kinds of people trying to work together towards, you mm-hmm. know, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness to sum it up real quick. And I think the president was trying to say a lot of that last night. And I feel like in, in just a few days, we're going to take such a huge step backwards in any ca- kind of thought process along the along those lines, don't you think? Well, yes and no. I feel like, you know, the president sets the tone of the culture of the country. However, so many people have, so many friends of mine who didn't really have any political leanings before this election, so many of them have now been mobilized to do work. And I think that's an exciting thing. Like everyone is feeling this passion and this fire under our butts to, 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 to organize, to work on things, to tackle things, to, to, to preserve democracy. And so while I am really scared about the tone that is going to be set by the president-elect, um, 
I'm really optimistic about all the people that have been mobilized because of it. Awesome. Awesome. I know. What are you doing, Peter? I, I created a podcast. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, I call it Social Justice Warrior Sandwich. And um, also, like, way, way down on the bottom of my to-do list is get more involved in local government, which I guess I should, like, notch that up. But, you know, holidays and just so much wine and cookies oh, the know. last three, four weeks. Just <laughs> wine and cookies and cookies and wine. Me too. Yeah. Constantly. It's just like a constant influx of sugar. I love it. <laughs> but, I don't know, I kind of feel like once January 20th comes around and by the time I get this uh, fully produced it'll probably only be a couple of days away uh that will probably motivate me to um light a bit more of a fire I I get you and like it's it's tough too because I never have really felt particularly motivated to get involved in local politics it's just mm. not something that I I don't really love being around other people, if I can be completely <laughs> honest. Um, well, but I, I have you. to ask myself as totally like as an artist, how can I give back and how can I do work? And so finding the ways where your gifts can be used, like, you know, offering free voiceover services to political groups you believe in or organizations you believe in. Is that a thing um, you know? My boyfriend to... is a. Do you know how to get something well, that's like that like, going? I'll just reach out to an organization you like. And like, for example, Again, it's on my to-do list. I haven't done it yet. But my boyfriend is an audio editor, um, and he does sound design. So he's offered his services to very, like, science-positive organizations Excellent. to work for free on their, their videos. Yeah. So it's kind of like just finding the ways that your gifts can help rather than saying, okay, I have to go run for office. All right. That makes a lot of sense. That makes me actually feel better about myself. And this podcast is amazing. So, so far, so good. Democracy can buckle when it gives in to fear. So just as we, as citizens, must remain vigilant against external aggression, we must guard against a weakening of the values that make us who we are. And that's why for the past eight years, I've worked to put the fight against terrorism on a firmer legal footing. That's why we've ended torture, worked to close Gitmo, reformed our laws governing surveillance to protect privacy and civil liberties. That's why I reject discrimination against Muslim Americans, who are just as patriotic as we are. Let's talk about, can we talk about some, some of these a-holes that have been uh, appointed? Sure. <laughs> so I'm looking at some of the people that Drumpf has appointed, and right away, okay, let's, well, well, let's take a look at, you know, public enemy number one. Let's call him that. Uh, public oh. enemy number one is... Uh, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon. Let's call him public enemy number one. Steve Bannon is the guy who's been appointed chief strategist and senior advisor, all right? A position that apparently does not need Senate approval. And he's the former chairman of Breibart News, which is apparently an extreme right-wing platform. 
and some of the stories on it, very anti-immigration, anti-feminism, white supremacy stuff all over the place. Um, okay, right here on, uh, wow, did I, I found this on uh, MarieClaire.com. This was a headline. Birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. That was one of the headlines. Here's another one. Uh, There's no hiring bias against women in tech. They just suck at interviews. This guy sounds like a guy I would love to date. Doesn't he sound dreamy? He just sounds so... Oh, and he's so good looking, too. Have you seen this guy? Look oh, at my gosh. Those baby blue eyes judging me. He he looks like... He's... You know, I, uh, he looks like one of those cornhole bean bags with a wig on. Just <laughs> That's know, insulting to joke. the cornhole bean bag game. Yeah, you're right. I apologize. That's insulting. <laughs> he just looks like a bean bag with a wig. His clothes don't fit. He's such an asshole. I uh, see this is the you thing. Know, Go ahead. Oh no, no. I was just going to say it's hard for I, I want to say all these terrible things about him, but then it's like I don't want to talk about how he looks because that would be what they do to women, you know. Ah, nuts, and you're I right. I don't want to like comment on you know, I, I, I want to hold myself. When we go low, we go high, right? Exactly. Michelle Obama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is my Bible. <laughs> Who, like, by the way. Yeah, he, do, he does. Sorry. Keep talking. Sorry. No, I was going to talk about Michelle Obama for a second. Like, in the face of all of this just disgusting sort of uh, vile, just racist attacks on her, she just sort of stood her ground and just remained graceful and um, I really appreciate her for that. You know what I mean? Totally. She's amazing. And yeah. like that grace under pressure, but yeah. also like she's such a figure of comfort, I think, for so many Americans, even in, in these times where we don't really know what's going to happen moving forward. There's something so comforting and reassuring about her faith in us, mm -hmm. you know? And she has amazing arms. <laughs> amazing okay, like, arms? Okay, like, I want to work out with her. Her arms yeah. are amazing. She does. She wears a lot of those sleeveless dresses to show them off all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? Of course. If you've got it, flaunt it. Is that the saying? I don't know. It is the saying. <sighs> so in this case, Steve Bannon should basically, he should wear a hid, like um, one of those hijabs, the, the niqab that covers the entire body and hair. It just shows the eyes because that's the dreamiest part of him. <laughs> I might write into Breitbart and suggest that. <laughs> that sounds like a fantastic idea. No, but when when they go low, we go high, right? So in, instead of just, you know, digging on him for his looks, it's just like, you know, this is the type of person that you just don't want to see representing your government. Absolutely government is supposed not. to represent everybody. And you know what? Fine. If this guy wants to be a racist prick... Let him. He, it's a free country. He can be a racist prick. But, right. I mean, to make him top of chief strategist to the president of the United States, I, th I thought we were past this. I don't get it. Totally. Again, it's like setting the tone. Like, the people in charge set the tone of the administration. And by having this guy, you know, as a, as a, as a tone setter, you have an anti-Semitic, anti-woman, pro-white. He does not going to represent anybody else other than other white men. Right. Not to mention, like, the hypocrisy. People kept saying Clinton's in bed with the media and Clinton's pay to play. But look at what Drumpf did in terms of his appointees. Everybody's kind of pay to play, hip pocketed. You know, he's rewarding the media people who helped him get elected. Like, 
and people don't recognize that hypocrisy like the people who voted for him don't recognize that hypocrisy i don't know he said he was going to drain the swamp and then you know there are all these frogs and alligators that are coming into this swamp now. And I don't know. I've, I've yet to see. I mean, again, I haven't been on Facebook to see what the memes are. But I don't know if the people that voted for him are mad or not or whether or not they care. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's a good point, actually. Like, I don't know either. I don't really have anybody who appears on my newsfeed because of Facebook's algorithm um, that right. posts right wing stuff. So do you ever go on that website like blue facebook red facebook no that's interesting yeah so there's a website that um shows you this is what liberal facebook sees like the kinds of articles that are promoted and things that are posted and this is what the red sees and they're so siloed off Mm -hmm. so it's like echo chambers of your own opinion basically right and I've been saying that for a long time that like we really need to have just face to face conversations with people like you and I are doing now, yeah. sort of over the over the Sorry. internet, um, digital face to face, digital face to face, instead of just you know arguing with each other on Facebook. And it's funny because the president said that last night in his farewell speech. He was like, "Hey, if you're tired of arguing with people on Facebook, why don't you just go out and talk to somebody in real life?" And yep. I, f- I feel like as uh, as Americans as a whole, red, blue, whoever the heck we are, we need to start doing that again. Because I feel like we just we really got caught up in this whole Internet, social media thing over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. And there's a lot of good aspects about social media and technology, mm-hmm. of course. But there's also a lot of bad and stuff that I think goes really against what makes us our best humanity for instance there's that guy with the red hair and the red ties who tweets too much oh yeah that guy Mm -hmm. oh and the yellow stain on his face yeah what is that (laughs) p can we talk about that for a second the golden shower gate oh god you know um this sort of popped up in my newsfeed like as I was getting ready to uh, start recording this. So all I know is oh. that he's uh, uh, he's been accused of hiring prostitutes to pee in beds where the Obamas stayed. Is that the deal? Tell me about it. <laughs> this is not an episode of South Park. This is real life. Right. Is that what it is? That yeah, that's what it is. So I, um, yeah. <laughs> I need to reread And that's all we know about that, folks. Look it up yourself. Google it. You've got the Google out there. Do it. Do your own research. Exactly. Don't rely on talking heads to do the research for you. That's the message, folks. But no, and then, of course, he says it's ridiculous, and maybe it is ridiculous. But, you know, part of me is, like, pretty sure that a man like that probably has had a prostitute or two in his life. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the thing, you know, someone says this about him and whether it's a false or true claim, the fact is he has so much that he has actually done that when you hear this claim, you're like, oh, of course he's done that too. Like that is not a really good indication of character. No, it isn't. And then somebody, somebody also said um, on Twitter that you must be a really, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> you must be a really shitty person if uh, Meryl Streep uses her Lifetime Achievement Award just to tell the world how shitty you are. Oh my God, I heard about that too. I I, I have oh. to catch up on everything, including the Golden it. Globe Awards. But yeah, and and you know some of this stuff maybe isn't true, and if it's not true, then yeah, that stinks. We sh- again, we shouldn't be putting fake news out there. But like when this is the you know the sort of personality. 
that that you've put out that people are making stuff up about you that's sort of uh, very easily can be attached to a person like you it, it makes you think you know yep. what i'm saying like yeah. totally I guess so. Some of the stuff that people have said about Hillary Clinton is downright ridiculous and doesn't really have anything to do with who she is as a person, so I could be wrong about that. America, we weaken those ties when we allow our political dialogue to become so corrosive that people of good character aren't even willing to enter into public service. So coarse with rank that Americans with whom we disagree are seen not just as misguided, but as malevolent. We weaken those ties when we define some of us as more American than others. When we write off the whole system as inevitably corrupt. And when we sit back and blame the leaders we elect without examining our own role in electing them. It falls to each of us to be those anxious, jealous guardians of our democracy. To embrace the joyous task we've been given. To continually try to improve this great nation of ours. Because for all our outward differences, we in fact all share the same proud title the most important office in democracy. Citizen. Citizen. So you see, that's what our democracy demands. It needs you. Not just when there's an election, not just when your own narrow interests is at stake, but over the full span of a lifetime. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. stupid white person questions? Sure. I love stupid white person <laughs> questions. <laughs> no, and the reason I ask these questions is, and it sounds silly, but like, I, I, I kind of feel like uh, as uh, white people, we have these, uh, you know, sort of preconceived prejudices about other cultures. Um, and we have these without actually like sitting down and asking questions and, and, you know, learning things about the other cultures. Right. So, I mean, it sounds stupid. You know, some people are like, oh, you know, you meet a black person and you're like, oh, so I guess you like rap or, you know, like that. But so some of these questions might sound like that. OK, no worries. Right. I'll just be judging you a little bit. <laughs> All right. So not a lot, just a little. Uh, I, I would th I would say that most of the people I have ever met in my life, obviously not all of them, but most people that I know uh, may have been brought up in a certain religion, but for the most part lead a very secular life. Is that true of you? 
For me, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I believe in God anymore, especially not the way God is defined in the monotheistic in books, religions. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's interesting because I think a lot of Americans don't understand that somebody like you exists and grew up and born in Illinois and grew up in Indiana, like we were saying earlier, and lives just like a regular life and, you know, grew up watching, uh, I don't want to ask a lady how old she is, but let's say, like, what, what popular culture cartoons and stuff? Darkwing you... Duck. The Darkwing Duck. Gargoyles. Yes. DuckTales. DuckTales. DuckTales was a little before my time, but okay. I really kind of came into it with like, <laughs> you know, Darkwing and Gargoyles and Tailspin and uh, I don't gosh. think I know Gargoyles. I remember Tailspin. <gasps> you have to watch Gargoyles. It's amazing. Right. It holds up 20 years later. Like, right. It's great. I loved Darkwing Duck, though. I thought that was the funniest thing. It was awesome. And Launchpad McQuack. I love Launchpad McQuack. I was reading about that the other day, and apparently the creators of the shows said that they existed in alternate universes. DuckTales and Darkwing Duck. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I heard about that recently. I didn't dig too deep into it because I was like, I have my own ideas about <laughs> how things were. I read a lot of fan. I used to read a lot of fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. And for those listening, a friend of mine, uh, her name's Emily. She has this joke. She says, uh, if you don't know what fan fiction is, you have to get out less. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. It's true. Oh, so you asked like secularity and stuff. Right. No, because I'm just saying like, I feel like uh, a lot of Americans have this idea that like every single person in America who's a Muslim American mm -hmm. is like in a hajib, uh, you know, uh, not speaking English and not knowing about English culture and so forth. And I just I feel like it's a very closed minded way to think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And just a pronunciation thing in case Ooh, you did, want to record say it. Wrong. It's a hijab, not what? a hajib, a oh, hijab. Gee, Louise. See, I feel like a That's Okay. I, just, I didn't want to make you look dumb, Peter. Well, you you Hijab. you did hijab. What the heck did I say? Hajib. What the heck is that? That's not even a thing, is it? That's a man who runs a convenience store. See, I'm being racist. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where I got it from. Maybe I've heard that word more. Unfortunately, you know what I mean. No, no, no. You're you're fine. It's just sometimes people the pronunciation just gets a little tweaked. Right. And so so you probably heard someone call it a hajib. It's a hijab. 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 Right. Get a haircut and get a real hijab. <laughs> but you don't really need a haircut if you wear a hijab. That's a good point. Uh -huh. I mean, that's okay. so here's the thing. No, never mind. I was going to talk about. No, go ahead, please. Well, here's the thing that really is tough. So there are a lot of people like me, mm -hmm. and I can't really have the nuanced conversations about Islam that I want to have because. Right. Right now, Islam is so under attack, and it's so, like, one color. People view it as mm -hmm. one color. Yeah, yeah. So, like, an opinion I have that might not necessarily be popular, but it's a nuanced opinion, is I really disagree. I would never wear a hijab in real life for a religious reason. I don't right. believe in a woman covering up part of her body. Mm -hmm. And I know it's... I understand the reasons why people do and why young Muslim women do. And, and it's a very, a lot of them have really great feminist reasons where, you know, I want to be known for my personality and not focused on the way I look and it's oh, empowering. Okay. And that's yeah. great. Like power to you. I personally though, feel like it's an, a relic from like a fear-based 
culture where women were afraid to show themselves to men because they were afraid they'd be attacked. Like, and I, really? I, I've grown up seeing people with that fear. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like women throughout the world and all cultures have been told that our sexuality is evil and bad. And so right. I think a lot of things remain from cultures. Like you have other religions too that cover women. Like, I feel like that's fear-based um, as opposed to something that's healthy. So, but okay. So this opinion I have about mm -hmm. the hijab, I could never really talk about it on a major platform because it's a nuanced discussion that we're not ready to have right now. I have to just like support all Muslims, regardless of, you know, I do. I mean, I support anybody who has like a, here's a, <laughs> it's tough because I, I'm a Muslim who doesn't like religion, but I can't right. really talk about why I think religion is dumb without people saying, oh, so you think Islam's dumb. I'm like, no, I don't think Islam's dumb, but I think religion is dumb in general. Like a super adherence to any religion is really dumb, but it's like Hallelujah. a conversation that can't be had. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, it's a discussion that can be had. Unfortunately, a lot of people get really, really angry yeah. when you bring up stuff like that. But again, and at this point, I'm repeating myself, but I find it interesting to meet and speak with you because it's news to me that that uh, that there are a lot of people like you out there. Obviously, you're not the first Muslim American I've ever spoke to who was secular, but you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> it's, you know, it, so much of it is dependent on where you grew up. Right. What kind, like who is in your community. Like I grew up in a college town, so there was okay. a fair amount of diversity in, in in the town in Indiana I grew up in. And then I went to school on the East Coast and I went to school with a bunch of different types of people. So I'm very lucky and fortunate that I was exposed to a bunch of different people and I've lived in major cities. Um, but if you don't have those experiences, it can be really hard to even know that you need to try to cultivate them for yourself. And it can also be like, I, I really, um, what's the word? Good for you for asking these questions and stuff because it is scary it's totally scary you don't want to seem like dumb or racist and i feel like maybe do you think part of the reason more white people don't engage like that is because they're afraid they'll be yelled at or be accused of being a racist maybe and which which brings up an interesting point actually and that i do think that there is a limit to how how pc we can be mm -hmm. um you know what i mean like a lot of the right wing will tell you that, you know, being PC is terrible. It's a bad idea, whatever, whatever, whatever. I disagree. But, you know, when you go too far, then it sort of creates this walking on eggshells all the time thing where it's impossible for people to learn things about each other because right. we don't want to ask questions about things and sound stupid. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you and I have never met in person. This is the first conversation we'd ever had. So there's no way for me to know that you may be... Uh, eat bacon and and don't uh, uh, pray twice a day. Is it twice a day? I don't even know. Five times, is it, is baby. Five we times. Right. Five times. I don't. And increasingly, we become so secure in our bubbles that we start accepting only information, whether it's true or not, that fits our opinions, instead of basing our opinions on the evidence that is out there. But politics is a battle of ideas. That's how our democracy was designed. In the course of a healthy debate, we prioritize different goals and the different means of reaching them. Without some common baseline of facts, without a willingness to admit new information, and concede that your opponent might be making a fair point, and that science and reason matter, 
then we're going to keep talking past each other. And we'll make common ground and compromise impossible. Is it twice a day? I don't even know. Five times, it's, it's baby. Five times? Oh. Right. Five times. I don't. I do eat bacon. Uh, I don't oh, pray five times goodness. a day. I do drink alcohol. Uh, I do have premarital sex. Now, wait. Can I ask you? Let me ask you another stupid question. Yes. Let's say your name again. Zara Fazal. Did I say that right? Zara Fazal. Fazal. You, okay. you said it prettier. I said it prettier. So I'm speaking yeah, with Zara. Like nothing. I'm speaking with Zara Fazal. She is an actress, comedian, singer, songwriter, voiceover artist. Muslim American, and here you are telling me uh, you eat pork, you drink alcohol, you don't pray, you have premarital sex. Now, here's a stupid question for you. When you say stuff like that, and I put it out on the internet for everyone to hear, do you ever fear that there could be uh, more fundamentalist Muslims here in America who could hear it and maybe think it's blasphemous and uh, seek you out and threaten you with violence because of it at all? There's a stupid white person oh, question. Oh, God. If there are, fuck them. Like, right. I don't give a fuck. Come at me, bro. Like, <laughs> like, you know, I... No, I don't live my life in fear of, like, a fatwa. I don't think I would go to... What does that word mean? What was that? Fatwa? Oh, a fatwa. Have you not heard the term fatwa? No. Okay, so a fatwa is a ruling on a point of Islamic law given by a recognized authority. So if there was, like... So basically, if the Pope were to say, hey... This is my point of view. Um, uh, eating babies is wrong. Okay. Then everybody would be like, oh, okay, this, this is the ruling, so we should avoid eating babies because this holy authority on, on the religion and the, and the Quran, the, the, the holy book says no eating babies. Uh, so fatwa has also been used to be like, oh, this person uh, did something terrible, like for example, uh, the depiction of the Prophet Muhammad visually right. is not uh, really allowed in Islam, mm -hmm. which is why so many so many Islamic artworks, it's beautiful geometry and shapes. There's no right. real depictions of, of people. Um, mm. So there'd be a fatwa against that. So people, in order to like uphold that fatwa, might you know, go after the artists who put the depiction of Muhammad somewhere. So it's a word that means and, like and, a, a, a type of law, like a, t a type of Islamic law. A type of law or ruling. But in mm -hmm. the media, it's also been used, to, uh, widely used interchangeably with like a death sentence. Like I put a fatwa on you. Uh. Um, in my saying, like, I'm not afraid if somebody puts a fatwa on me, that's their problem. Right. Like, yeah, I can't control who's going to be mad about the way I live my life, my awesome life where I'm doing good and not hurting anyone, you know? Exactly. Yeah, so if they exactly. have a problem with that, that's their issue, not mine. Fantastic. That was another stupid white boy question that I had to ask. No, not at all. And you know what? <laughs> there, <laughs> I'm sure there are people who, this is, the, this is my beef. Like there are people who probably will look at me and be like, oh, but she's not really Muslim because she does all these things and she doesn't believe in God. She's not Muslim. But right. here's the thing. Like I have a Jewish friend who only celebrates like one of the Jewish holidays. Right. The rest of the, they don't do anything to follow, but nobody would ever tell her, Oh, you're not a Jew. Like right. I'm a fucking Muslim dude. Deal with it. Right. There's, you know, you can be a Muslim and you can be all these other things. It's not an exclusive label. If that's I what know you plenty of Catholics as. that eat meat on Friday and, you know, have premarital sex and masturbate. That, that was a big thing for a while. We weren't allowed to do that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's sad.
We had a we had a fatwa like on reason. masturbation. <laughs> there you go. That was a Catholic fatwa. It sounds French almost. <laughs> fatwa. Fatwa. I learned a new word today, everybody. Congratulations. Thanks. Do you ever have you do you ever get any other stupid white guy questions? Um stupid questions, not always from white guys, but from men in general sometimes. Okay. Let's hear some of them. Well, men, uh, I don't want to limit it to men. I think a lot of people do this. People try to figure out where you're from. If you're not white, people ah, well, yeah, yeah. try to figure out where you're from. And it's like they don't believe you when you're like, oh, I'm from Indiana. Like, no, no, but where are you from, uh, uh, really? Right, 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 right. Like, uh, what they really want to know is, hey, what, what's your ethnicity? What's your ethnic background? So it's a because either they want to phrase it. Yeah. What's but it's a stupid way to phrase it that is... You know, it's a little bit of a microaggression because you're constantly being othered. Like, oh, you're not from right. here. You're from somewhere else. You're right. not like me. You are somebody else. And that wears on you after a while. And also you have people who are also brown or of color who ask you that question. But that's usually they want to figure out if you are what they are or if you mm -hmm. want to connect or if they're flirting with you. But like, why? Why does that have to be? That just annoys me. Like, why do you have to figure out where I'm from? And then when I tell you, why don't you believe me? Um, although I do, like, again, like, as a white guy, sometimes I see somebody who is of a different color, and I'm interested. I want to know sure. about, you know, hey, what is your culture? What is your ethnic background? You know, what are you, you know, like, I'm, I'm part Italian-American. We grew up having macaroni every Sunday at three o'clock. And so if anybody were to ask me about that, I wouldn't have any problem talking about it. But I, and I sort of feel like you, we, we need to kind of find this balance between uh, the PC and the, you know, the educated conversation. You know what I mean? Totally, totally. And I, you know, <laughs> I try, that's why I try to really, if someone asks me a question like that, I'm pretty good at sussing out what the intention is behind it. Okay. So... And most people, it's well-intentioned. They just want to connect and talk with you. Yeah. This has been stupid white boy questions. <laughs> okay, so wait, you know what the I did? The more you know. I made this conversation full screen. I made this conversation full screen on my computer, and I can't figure out <laughs> how to stop it so that I can, like, do other stuff on the internet. Are not you that, on a not PC that I absolutely need to. I'm on a Mac. So then can you open, if you open a new window in Chrome, will it minimize it? New window. New window. Oh, wait, maybe. There, it worked. Yay. I found it. Oh, wait, now you're full screen again. All right, hey, thanks for the lesson. So, uh... I no problem. I'm, I'm Indian-American. It's what I do. <laughs> I just got that. Okay. Um, but you're not Indian-American. You're Pakistani-American. Well, well, here's the... here. Okay, here's... So I'm all about nuances, right? Here's where it gets even more nuanced, Peter. So mm -hmm. my parents were born in India before Pakistan existed. Really? And then in the 19... Yeah. So in the 19... So British... The Britain had... Britain had control over India. And then when Britain left in the 50s, they created Pakistan um, because I guess there were some religious tensions. So they were like, all the Muslim families should go to Pakistan and all the Hindu families should go to India. Right. And so when my parents were young, like five or six years old, their families were uprooted from their homes in India and wow. moved to Pakistan. Oh, okay. But essentially... So people, you know, are like India, India and Pakistan ethnicity wise can often be interchanged because there's so many different ethnicities that compromise India and Pakistan. And it's all part of like mm -hmm. the South Asian right. subcontinent. I've been to India, actually. 
Have you? Where? Yeah. Um, I, I was in, um, out, right outside of New Delhi. It was called Noida was the name of the town. And I was there for about six months. And I spent a few weeks wow. in a suburb of uh, Mumbai for a little while. I actually, I had a job training people in call centers, believe it or not. When like call centers first oh became gosh, a thing. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, but but here's the thing. You were when, the outsourced guy. I was. And funny, when that TV show came on, I was like, damn, why didn't I think of this? But it only ran for like a season, so. Um, <laughs> but the interesting thing was, I go to India not knowing anything about the fact that I was going into a country that was full of many, many, many different cultures, just like the United States. Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. you know, you're Indian. Sure, it's a great big country that's, you know, about as big as the United States, but everybody's exactly the same culturally. This is the idea that I grow up with. And then I actually go there and I see that that's not true. And, on, you know, yeah. uh, not everybody in my situation gets to have... Um, uh, an experience like that to sort of open their mind to that idea. And now a word from our sponsor. Fatwa. 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 Attention grabbing. Fatwa. 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 Headline making. Fatwa. Fatwa. Absolutely divine. Fatwa. 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 Wear it when you want to be the target of passion. Fatwa, the new fragrance for men and women from Calvin Klein. All right, good. So I want to get to your show. I want to talk about your show because I saw this video and I said, I want her on the on the program, on the uh, SJW Sandwich Show. Um, <clears throat> so uh, when did you create it? So I created Headscarf and the Angry Bitch. Um in 2008 the beginning of 2008 is when i started working on it or sorry the end of 2008 uh it debuted at the uh capital fringe festival in washington dc in oh, the wow. summer of 2009 and that's kind of what started the whole roller coaster ride i went on to develop the show further at uh, theater j in washington dc and then took it um to tour internationally at different french, french wow. festivals across north america uh and a little uh bit in Japan oh, wow, and cool. yeah so it opened in DC in 2009 won the best solo show of the festival got extended in another theater company Great. lots of interest and so I used that interest and it was very like topical mm. right like so the premise of the show is um there's a kind of a bumbling folk rock Muslim singer and she's been hired to teach the community about Islam in a series of lessons at her local uh, mosque Islamic Community Center and she ends up putting her own foot in her mouth several times and kind of doing a lot of things that would be considered blasphemous uh, right. until she eventually gets fired from her job. And it's it's very irreverent. Uh, this, it's a musical, so the different songs in it are all like song parodies for the most part. Um, so it has the humor element, but then it kind of, the whole thesis of the show is what does it mean to be a Muslim? Can I be a Muslim but also be bisexual can i be a muslim but also right. have sex drink eat bacon like it's okay to have multiple labels no single label defines you totally mm. and so it resonated with uh other muslims who are kind of like me and it resonated with a lot of non-muslims too because they kind of felt like they learned a little bit about the muslim experience or one potential muslim experience 
so I toured around with the show for a while for, you know, a few years after that. But then I kind of got a little fatigued by. So the, the crowning glory for me was when I returned to Indiana and did the show at the Indianapolis Fringe Festival. And I sold out all my shows. Oh, wow, so cool. it was like 200 people a night coming to see a story about a Muslim woman in a hijab, <laughs> you know, singing and making jokes. And I was so proud of Indiana. <laughs> I was so proud as a Hoosier that my state supported me. However, it got to the point where I felt like people were looking at the show more as an educational tool, like, mm. oh, let's learn about Islam, right. rather than what its intention was, was a very irreverent take on one person's story and experience. Okay. Um, I'm hesitant to speak for all of, it's hard to be like, I speak for all women, I speak for all Muslims, I speak for all Muslim women. I don't, yeah, yeah. I no, speak no. for myself. Right. Yeah, so like I, a lot of people have been like, bring the show back. Are you going to do it again? And I've thought about it, and maybe I will bring it back at some point. But I, you know, I spent a few years performing it. It was really good to say the things I wanted to say in my, you know, early 20s. Right. And now I'm working on other things. That's fantastic. Although I did want to say, I, I feel like maybe part of the reason why that was happening, where people were saying that, is because, you know, people really aren't exposed to that kind of thing out there. It's probably the only thing they've ever seen mm. that covers that kind of subject matter. So, in a sense, totally. that, that had to be good, though, right? For Oh, I think so. I yeah. think so. Just the conversations that happened as a result of it were probably mm -hmm. great. And just seeing in the media, like, an image of a Muslim that's not a scary thing was right. good. Like, you can laugh at me and with me, so it kind of deflates the scary balloon that Islam has been um, put into, you know? So, but you're on to other things. I have to tell things, you, though. though. Yeah, go ahead. I was recently in a play... Uh, here in Los Angeles called The Engine of Our Ruin mm -hmm. by a guy named Jason Wells who lives in Chicago. And that play, I was so excited to do it because it's another example of like portraying Muslims and also Middle East peace relations in a comical light. Right. And so I think it's so great that people are tackling with varying levels of success. Like this was a very well-written play. Um, there are other pieces that are well-written and not so well-written. They're people who are trying to tackle this, which I think is fantastic. Like yeah. Muslim voices in comedy, you know, anything that helps put our images out there in ways that are against the stereotype right. is really important. And so I'm glad to continue being part of that story, even though I don't want that to be my only story. No, of course sense. not. Yeah, I just it's it's a thing that I knew about you, so I wanted to bring it up and talk about it. It kind of brings our conversation full circle because we were talking earlier about how what do we do as artists now that you yeah. know who has been elected and we make our art and we put the message out there, and uh, so I think it's great. You were talking about the other comedian, like you know, Middle Eastern peace talks being done through comedy. I feel like it's stuff like that that yes. hopefully will you know open up a lot of minds. I think people do really learn a lot through comedy. Or, or can like the potential is absolutely there oh totally absolutely we you have to wrap this up yes uh yeah about 15 minutes all right anything else that you're just dying to say i suppose i should mention um i did a character a couple characters on a comedy central show called the legend of chamberlain heights uh, oh i've seen that show that show is really funny it's really funny it's, it's, really it's like funny. south park it, in the know, hood I'm, yeah, totally. That's yeah. exactly what it's like. 
like I remember watching the the first episode when it aired, and I saw so many drawn anuses. It was insane. I'd never <laughs> seen that many drawn buttholes uh, in a cartoon in my life. I love it. Um, so one of the characters, two of the characters I did this season in an episode um, were twins from a country called Ubamistan, and their oh, names were ISIS and ISIS. Wait, so ISIS and that what? was pretty fun. What are the names? ISIS and what? ISIL. Ah, okay. <laughs> so now on IMDb, like forever, my name is going to be next to ISIS and ISIL, and I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but that show was a blast. So funny. that sounds like fun. I'll have to try and find that episode. That's good. Great. Awesome. Hey, listen. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for taking the time out to talk to me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I hope I hope it was a productive conversation. Nah, nah. This is going to suck. I'm trashing this whole thing. I'm going to find another guest. Awesome. Yeah. Nah, I'm just Sounds kidding. Good. I have some recommendations. Uh, actually, that would be great for like future podcasts. If you know anybody that would, would want to talk to stuff about stuff like this, that'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, there's a podcast by a couple of really fantastic ladies called Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. No kidding. And they, uh, I really recommend it. They talk about some of the stuff with their unique points of view. All right, cool. No, but uh, this conversation was fantastic, though, and I really do appreciate oh, it. I'm Thank so you glad. so much. This has been Social Justice Warrior Sandwich, and my guest has been actress, singer, songwriter, and voiceover artist Zara Fuzzle. Thank you so much. You, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, if you want to connect with me on social media, my Instagram account is Zara Fuzzle. Twitter, same, Zara Fuzzle. Or uh, head over to ZaraFuzzle.com. And doesn't your alter ego also have a Twitter account? Or are you no longer doing that, the character from the... Oh, yeah. No, I don't do that anymore. All right, never mind. I'll <laughs> cut that part out. I should bring her back. Bring back... What, what's the character's name? Twitter. Zed Headscarf. Is Zed? Is that oh, a female oh. name? That's that her rocker name. Ah, okay. Maybe do new stuff, like write something new with her, right? Or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I did well, think it was funny how all... your profile picture was like her eating bacon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, by the way, was like appropriated for like a right-wing meme, by the way, like an anti-Islam meme. Are you fucking like, serious? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, it was like on Imgur. Imgur. Thanks again for listening to Social Justice Warrior Sandwich. You can follow us on Twitter at SJW Sandwich. This recording was made on January 11th, 2017, the day after President Barack Obama gave his farewell speech. And it was posted January 19th, 2017, the day before the new guy takes office. Once again, this episode features more music by Zithem. Check him out on SoundCloud at XYTHM. Hope you like my conversation with Zara Fuzzle. I leave you here with some clips from her one-woman show, Headscarf and the Angry Bitch. Sing along!